Hello and welcome to the Victorious Liberty Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin McSpadden. Tonight, we're continuing our series on the Gospel of the Kingdom. Last time, we discussed just how far humankind fell through the sins of Adam and Eve and all the sins we've all committed since then, for that matter. You know, in the Garden of Eden, what we had was face-to-face intimacy with God. We had a glorious call to spread God's love over the whole earth, and we had God-given authority to do what he had called us to do. But we gave it away by obeying Satan. Yes, I'm including us in that, because while we aren't Adam or Eve, we have all done exactly what they did by sinning against God. And that's why we have fell an awful long way. But remember that gospel means good news. So you may be thinking, how can such a tremendous fall be considered good news? You have to remember that God is perfect love, and from the exact moment humankind fell, God had already set a plan in motion to bring us back to Him. Throughout the entire Old Testament, God displays His heart of love for His people. He also reveals His unyielding desire to redeem humankind from the consequences of sin so that His original plan from the beginning could be restored and we could fulfill our original mission. Ultimately, throughout the entire Old Testament, the law, the prophets, the Psalms, God revealed the terrible and awesome price He would one day pay for us to have the restoration He intended the death of his beloved son, Jesus. He gave us so many hints, so many clues, so many prophetic promises with one simple message. Help is on the way. And that's what we'll explore in tonight's episode. Let's dive in. Well, at the Garden of Eden, humankind fell. And we were in pretty bad shape, to put it mildly. We were obviously not ready for the Redeemer to come quite yet, or else God would have already sent him. There was a great deal of preparation that needed to take place before that could happen. God had quite a few things he needed to get ready before humankind could even begin to receive Jesus as the Redeemer, the Savior, the Lamb of God, etc. So what did God do to help people get ready for his Son to come with salvation for those who believe in him? Well, one of the most important steps in God's plan of redemption, believe it or not, was the law. Paul writes in Galatians 3.24, Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. As with most things that God does, the law has many purposes that are multifaceted and way too deep to explore in such a short podcast episode, but let's consider a few important aspects of God's heart in the law. Take the Ten Commandments, for example. So many folks view them as a list of rules, and you could certainly look at them that way, but there's so much more to them than just that. If you take the Ten Commandments to heart and see their intent, what they do is show you how to live in harmonious relationship with God, your family, and other people. There are also promises that reveal God's amazing character. For example, why the Sabbath? Everybody else in the world worked 24-7 in those days, so why did God command his people to rest? Well, here are some thoughts on that. Number one, they reflected God's character by doing what God did. Number two, it separated the people of God from the rest of the world and made clear that God's ways are different, higher, and ultimately better than the world's ways. 
Number three, it required faith that works through obedience to God. You only took the day off because you believed He would bless you and keep you and cause your work to prosper even if you weren't out there doing it. And number four, it gave God the opportunity to bless His people and put His glory on display. Imagine this, some foreign neighbor of the Israelites looking over at their prosperity and complaining, Man, their God's way better than mine. They only work six days a week, and they're always giving away their crops and harvests to their priests, and they still prosper more than I do. My God's stink. So, you see, God blessed his people through their obedience and demonstrated his presence by miraculously fulfilling their needs, even if they didn't do what the rest of the world did. Here's another thing. Think about the thou shalt not commandments as blessings and promises from God. For example, thou shalt not steal, because you'll be provided for by Jehovah Jireh himself. Why would you need to steal? Thou shalt not covet, for God will give you all you need to live a satisfying life. You don't have to look at what somebody else has. You have the living God. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Because if you trust in me, I will provide for the desires of your heart. I will bring you a spouse who will walk with you in my kingdom. And I will show you that love, while it does include physical intimacy, runs far deeper than the mere pleasures of the flesh. Those are just examples, but each commandment contains a promise and a revelation of God's righteous character, and those who treasure the commandments and live by them would very quickly distinguish themselves from the dark, immoral world. Consider it like this. God's law and His commandments were His way of showing the people how to live a moral, righteous, prosperous, and blessed life. But there was a catch. It turns out that living that way without the Holy Spirit is pretty tough and actually near impossible. That's one of the reasons why God gave them the ability to make sacrifices. You know, it may not seem that way to our modern mind, but it was actually a very clever way that God made for His people to be imperfect, to fall, and still remain righteous before Him. It is true, slaughtering an animal is a brutal way of reminding yourself about the consequences of sin and re-entering righteous standing, but it also reveals the very dire consequences of your actions, and it made a way for imperfect people to still receive the perfect mercy of God. Not only that, but each sacrifice was a reminder that something greater than that mere sacrifice was needed. These people had to think to themselves, This sacrifice is not making me want to stop sinning, so I have to have something greater, something that can transform me. I mean, even Paul himself, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, had to admit that he was blameless, but not sinless. You can read Romans 6, 7, and 8 for the full picture, but the summary could be something along these lines. Brethren, we have been given a better sacrifice through Jesus than the sacrifices of the old days. Jesus defeated sin. But the law helped us recognize our sin and how much sin is at work in us, so much so that I myself even hated what I was doing but found it awful hard to stop. Thankfully, Jesus delivered us from that struggle so that we can live a righteous life in the Holy Spirit as long as we remain faithful and obey Him. His life in us sets us free from the law that revealed sin and death. Now that's a Pretty quick paraphrase, and obviously there's quite a bit more to it than that, but that gives you the idea. So, to summarize, God gave the law as a way to sanctify and separate his people from the world, 
provide for them a way to live in righteous standing with him and with others, to put his amazing love and faithfulness on display, and to provide a way for him ultimately to redeem mankind from the consequences of the fall. Well, that's already pretty amazing, but the law does even more than that. Did you know that the law actually points toward Jesus? It does. Here are two very interesting parallels for you to consider. One thing for you to remember is that under the law, one of the sacrifices for sin was a lamb. There was also a Passover lamb sacrificed as a remembrance of the time that God mercifully passed over Israel when he was pouring out his wrath on Egypt. This symbolized the coming Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Jesus was our sacrifice. His blood covers us and gives God the ability to restore us to right standing. God passes over our sins because of our lamb, Jesus. Also in the old days, a priest, the high priest, would go into the holiest of holies, the holiest place, the place where God's presence dwelt, so that he could make atonement for the sins of the people. You can look at Hebrews 5, 1 through 4 for a very, very quick summary of what the high priest was doing. But basically, the high priest made intercession for the people through imperfect sacrifices that God would still accept. But nevertheless, Jesus became our new high priest with a perfect sacrifice. Listen to what Hebrews 9, 11-15 says about Jesus. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death. For the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Well, I know that's a mouthful, but what you're really looking at there is how Jesus has become the new, greater high priest, offering his blood as the perfect sacrifice so that we could all retain our right standing and receive eternal inheritance from God. Now, that is amazing. Furthermore, Jesus doesn't just enter a man-made structure to intercede for us. Hebrews 9.24 says he entered the very presence of God on our behalf. He is the only priest who lives forever, who brings perfect blood as a sacrifice, and who truly can transform those for whom he prays. Read all of Hebrews chapter 9 to see the magnificence of Jesus as our high priest. And as you read, remember, God hinted at this priestly position through the law. In other words, Israel may not have known it, but God had already showed them what their Redeemer would be when he came. To conclude, Jesus himself testified in Matthew 5.18 that part of his mission was to fulfill the law. After all, he was the one to whom the law pointed. The modern Western mind tries to reduce the law to a list of tedious rules, but as we've said, it is so much more than that. God gave the law so that people could better understand his ways and his beautiful heart, Jesus taught that the entire law could be summed up in two beautiful commands. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love. 
Isn't it amazing to see that love was God's intent all along, and Jesus was God's perfect love revealed to this world? So I hope you can see through today's very quick exploration of the law that what God showed us about himself was so much deeper than a list of rules. He revealed to us a great deal about his love and ultimately his son through the law. But he surely wasn't stopping there. The Psalms and the prophets were his divinely inspired messages of hope, also calling his people to return to his loving heart and promising them that when the time was right, he would send a savior the likes of which the world had never seen. That's what we'll be exploring on next week's episode as we continue to explore the gospel of the kingdom. This has been the Victorious Liberty Podcast. I'm Kevin McSpadden. May God bless you. May God keep you. And may God cause his face to shine upon you.